Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Orange County Supervisor Katrina Foley talks to Bruce about the controversial uproar over the public versus private land purchase in Newport Beach's Back Bay. Then, Dr. Sandra Morgan from Vanguard University's Global Center for Women and Justice discusses the latest victims count in Orange County regarding sex and labor trafficking victims. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now, here's your host, Bruce Cook, brought to you by the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hode. And we're on live, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Bruce Cook. It is the Bruce Cook Conversation. Angels Radio, AM 830, KLAA. Good evening to everyone listening tonight. We have an interesting hour together. The conversation is going to take us in different directions, as it does just about every Sunday evening. As we end our week and begin a new chapter, uh, a new chapter of good, bad, and indifferent that will follow the news in the week in the week to come. Tonight, our first segment is going to be joined by Orange County Supervisor Katrina Foley, hardest working woman in Democratic politics in Orange County. Anyway, uh, we have a lot of issues that are going on here in the county that that apply all over Southern California, actually. The most serious of which we're going to talk about tonight when Supervisor Foley joins me is a debate on the use of public land, public land that potentially might be offered for sale to a private individual for a various uh, reasons, both practical and political, possibly. Uh, this is a debate that goes on in, in towns and, and cities everywhere in, in America. It has for decades. Uh, it has nothing to do with, but it also, it reminds us that in, in recent weeks in Los Angeles, for those uh, listeners that are with Angels Radio in L.A. tonight, the Blacks, uh, the Bruce's Beach uh, story, which again has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about tonight with uh, Representative, I mean, uh, uh, Supervisor Foley, that Bruce's Beach story reverberated all through the world, actually. And as for those of you that uh, are familiar with it, it was a very, very expensive parcel of oceanfront property, uh, beachfront property in Los Angeles, uh, south of uh, the city there, that uh, originally was owned by a black family at the turn of the century into the Depression years. Um, it was lost in eminent domain, and there were certainly reasons beyond the, uh, uh, the value of the property being wanted by the city because of some public works situation. There were definitely, uh, the eminent domain was definitely racially motivated. And the California Congress voted after much heated debate to return it to the descendants of that family. Different story, but again, public versus private and how the people of this state and this county decide to use their uh, public trust and their and their representatives in dealing with these situations. Anyway, let's let's introduce uh, Supervisor Foley. She's been on the show before. She's a trusted guest, uh, very outspoken very well-educated, very opinionated, but always, always looking for truth in every situation, whether you agree with her politics or not. Is Representative, I keep calling her Representative because I know she's going to move on to higher office, is Supervisor Foley with us? I am here. Oh, Thank there you, you are. You're, Hi. It's good Hi. to have you on. Thank you. Always good to be on. All right. I want to start with this public land situation in Newport Beach, the Upper Back Bay. You've got to fill me in a little bit. I've done a little research on it. And frankly, it doesn't make any sense to me because the land in question is a weird sort of triangular portion of land, less than a third of an acre that's attached to a private residential property 
that is on public land that's really not used by anybody. And apparently the owner of that uh, parcel has has claimed it um, and has put up a fence. Talk to me about well, this. What's going on? Uh, well, let me just correct a couple of your facts. Okay. Because I actually, by coincidence, was just out uh, on the back bay today taking a walk, and I decided with my friend Susan that we would go walk up in that area and see, um, you know, what's the status. Well, let me tell you, there was a family, uh, two parents and tiny little ones, maybe they were five years old, I don't know, and they were walking in front of us, and it was hot, we were on the dirt trail, there were no shade trees right at that that area, but if you look beyond the fence that's been erected, there were so many beautiful shade trees that we could have been walking under, had there not been a fence installed unlawfully on public land that is the back bay. So it is not accurate to say that this is an extension of someone's attached to someone's private property. There's actually a fence at the private property line. There's like a shrub hedge and a, and a fence there. And this is, you know, 10,000 square feet of property that's been taken with big, huge eucalyptus trees and birch trees and other trees all in the area. Certainly much could be done in that area, even if it's just resting and looking out over the bay and taking a moment of quiet, you know, meditation. Okay. uh, Well, let me stop you and ask you something. Do you know why this owner wants this property so badly? It looks like he has a huge piece of property to begin with. What is this for? Well, uh, I good question, but if it were me, I would want to have that extension of my my backyard. I mean, it is a beautiful extension of the view. Nothing can be uh, built in front of it, and um, and then you know, if you have parties like he always does, you can have people out there. Okay, so it's he's not he's not planning to. I mean, there's I noticed today that there's floodlights that are all up on the trees and then one of the signs that i had not noticed when i had toured the area previously is that there's a sign that has like a security sign and then there's another sign attached to the fence this is again supposed to be public property and it says armed response (laughs) well that's nice yeah, that's very nice. Listen, I don't understand why he would put up the fence if this deal is not done. Well, how well, could he be? Pu- how can you put up a fence on public land if you if it? De- I know to inform. You, you can. You have all the agreements informally from all the people, and this all happened before I joined the board of supervisors. And then it just so happened that the very first meeting last year in April, when I joined the supervisors board. Um, this item was on our agenda for the second reading. So the board had already approved it once. It had gone through our parks commission on a split vote, not recommended. And then it came up to the the board of supervisors. And, you know, this was all done through Congresswoman Steele, who was then the supervisor of that office. It was all done through her office. And uh, we have all the emails and everything. Um, and it's basically he's just a big donor um, here in Newport. And so, you know, he got a, a sweet deal at the time, 10,000 square feet of land for $13,000. I challenge you to find any property in the area. What's that? <laughs> well, let me let me uh, let me get into the facts again, because I'm still confused. Had he paid the thirteen thousand? Had it been accepted by the county or by the city? What what happened? Or was it still just in limbo until you brought up the situation at that meeting that you suggested and said, "Wait a minute, this doesn't sound kosher." Right. So what happened was that was the final vote. If I had not been there, and it had been uh, the prior supervisor, she would have voted yes, and he would own the property now. I see. Now, I don't know. The Postal Commission has just recently weighed in on this, and um, they said that the grand jury's recommendation that the county require the property owner to remove the fence is valid, and it was a violation of the uh, Coastal, you know, Act. 
to have the fence up or to even try to sell it. They didn't go through the proper procedures. And so um, who knows if the sale ultimately would have been valid, but certainly if I wasn't there, the sale would have proceeded. Okay. So my question now is public use versus private use. Clearly, there was favoritism of some kind involved because there was a relationship and that is let's face it that's part of the political world depending on what side you're on on this in this case we're talking we're talking about a republican donor and a republican uh, representative how much politics is involved in this and where do you stop with the politics and just deal with the reality what is fair what is fair well, for the public and what is fair for the private individual in a situation like this where someone's trying to buy some public land? Well, no one should be trying to buy this land. I mean, the only reason that this was even considered was because he initiated the request. The county wasn't selling the land. The land was donated to the county in 1990 from the Irvine Company, and it was declared to be for public use and enjoyment. No county official or county department had decided, oh, we want to go ahead and try to sell this land. And we've sold land before. Right. Where there's right. There's a reason. There's a reason. Some reason, right? Yeah. But no one, um, no one has ever tried that here. This was initiated by the private property owner for his own benefit. And so that's the difference there. And let me tell you, even though it's a... Republican donor and a Republican supervisor at the time, it is uh, not Republican-only opposition. We had residents who live in the neighborhood, and those are predominantly Republicans in that neighborhood. Uh, There were more than a 1,000 signatures signed to undo this. So this is not – this isn't really a partisan issue – the issue itself is nonpartisan. It's about good governance. It's about uh, the privatization of public land. And, and it's about following the proper procedures, especially when it's dealing with coastal land. Um, and so, I mean, yes, it was partisan in the sense that the guy is a partisan and he had partisan friends, but it's not partisan in terms of the issue. That's the point we needed to make. Okay, let's move on and talk about so many other things in the county that you're dealing with. I want to switch the the gears 180 degrees and talk about our fentanyl and drug problems in Orange County and uh, and actually not just Orange County but Southern California. How are things going? What's what are the police telling you? What are, what are the statistics telling you? Are we are we getting worse? Are we getting better? Are, is progress being made? Well, I'm afraid to say it's getting worse. And the fentanyl crisis is real, and it impacts every family. No family will be immune from this crisis, I'm afraid, until we can really start to understand that um, there are no street drugs that you can buy that are not laced with fentanyl. And I, um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of research since I joined the Board of Supervisors on this issue. I had uh, my husband's student who had graduated a couple years ago, but she was on his golf team. Um, she died of fentanyl poisoning um, a couple months ago, and it's just heartbreaking. Um, it just takes a tiny little speck of powder uh, that maybe is in a pill or a Xanax or some kind of Oxycontin or maybe it's in cocaine, and it's just that tiny little speck, and that can kill you. So it's a very dangerous drug. They say that the majority of it comes from China and it comes through Mexico and other places and comes across our border. How can we ever fight this fight? How can we stop well, it? I think that um, right now it's it's coming domestically. It's coming from foreign sources. I don't think it's isolated to just coming across the border. It's being made here domestically as well. Um, and recently I attended a fentanyl awareness um, sort of a, I don't want to call it a festival, but a, like a, a resource fair. And um, 
there was an Orange County Sheriff's Department representative there, and he described it really well. You're making a batch of chocolate chip cookies, and you, you blend up everything, and then you pour in the chocolate chips, or in this case, you pour in the fentanyl. And then you lay out all the little uh, balls of chocolate chip cookies on the tray, and sometimes you have a cookie that has one chocolate chip. Other times you have a cookie that has like five or six all clumped together. Well, the cookie with the one chocolate chip is probably not going to kill you, but the one that has all the five clumped together will. And this is what's happening. They're baking these drugs here and there, and you never know which one is going to be the deadly one. So the best course of action is to just don't do it. Um, and we have to be really careful, too, because the, um, just being exposed to fentanyl and the in the air and the powdery form can also be very dangerous for our law enforcement and for our paramedics and our nurses and doctors. Um, there's, um, I've been speaking with our criminal justice system representatives, judges, attorneys, etc., and we're seeing a lot of deaths amongst little babies because they're catching something that's fentanyl-laced and they're dying from it. Um, so it's a, it's a crisis, and our district attorney's office is now working with the U.S. Uh, Department of Justice so that if there's a fentanyl poisoning, the coroner is going to uh, rule on the cause of death, and it's not going to be considered an overdose like we used to do. It'll be determined to be a poisoning by fentanyl, which is now a murder, and then it'll be prosecuted under the federal statute. Because right now we have, um, and here's where I disagree with my party, um, <laughs> we have a, um, we, it's fentanyl use and distribution and sale is, it's a misdemeanor. And so we can't prosecute um, those cases and we need to elevate the prosecution so that we can hold people accountable. Interesting. I didn't realize that it was only a misdemeanor. That's a big difference, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, my friend, Kai Pichinoris, is our assemblywoman here in Sesame Street in Newport. She put a bill forward this year, didn't make it out, but I know she'll bring it back again. Boy. Uh, on that note, let's take a breath and take a breather and get a commercial break. Katrina Foley, please stay with us. I'm Bruce Cook. It's the conversation tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Supervisor Foley, we've got a lot more to talk about, and we'll be right back. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, the Hogue Epilepsy Program is accredited by the National Association of Epilepsy Centers as a Level 4 Epilepsy Center. This means that our experts provide the highest level care for patients with complex epilepsy. Our patient-centered approach to epilepsy treatment combined with state-of-the-art technology, including robotics and laser ablation, ensure the best possible outcomes for our patients. To learn more or for an evaluation, call 949-966-0243 or visit hogue.org forward slash epilepsy care. Feeling like a 10, the best I ever been. And yeah, I know how bad it must hurt to see me. And we are back. I'm Bruce Cook. It's the conversation tonight. Supervisor Katrina Foley is with me for this segment of our program together, our conversation together, talking about issues. Katrina, I'm going to ask you sort of off county question. It's a national question. It's something that I think, I think you are going to have an interesting response to because education has been a center of your life, your passion, your work, I know for many, many years, a big advocate of the public schools. Where do you stand on the proposal by President Biden to issue uh, college tuition rebates, uh, $10,000 for federal grants, $20,000 for Pell Grants? Oh, I, I support student loan debt removal. Absolutely. Um, it's even broader than that. What many people don't know is that the, the legislation also covers, it, it 
good portion of middle class families. So if you've been paying on your student loan for the last 12 years, um, you can get, I think it's $10,000 paid off. Uh, so it's, it's going to be uh, one of the strongest middle class uh, benefits or packages that have come out of either administration over the last several years. Uh, I think it's going to make a big difference. When you think about it, if you're paying $300 a month for 25 years and now you've got 10000 left on your payment, that wipes out, and now you've got that $300 a month to spend investing in the economy. And you will because you're going to be buying something with it. But what do you say to the critics both on the— Richard, you know. what, what do you say to the critics both on both sides of the aisle that say, first of all, it's unfair because it doesn't go across the board entirely equally? And what about so many people that have struggled and have paid off their loans? And the second part of it is there are a lot of critics that are worried, A, about the inflationary effect of passing out this money. And lastly, the burden of paying it back. Estimates are that over 10 years, it could be a half a billion dollars in taxpayer revenue needed. Well, okay, so Bruce, you caught me off guard here. I did, but I know you can handle it. I'm doing some quick research here while we're talking. I know you can um, handle it. (laughs) So here I want to give you a couple of facts. Um, So it's going to cut income-based repayments in half, that's right. Um, so if you are a borrower and you might not pay more than 5% um, of your discretionary monthly income, um, which is down from the 10% cap, which that's going to help people. Then it's also if you have an unpaid monthly interest, monthly interest the loan balance uh, does not grow as long as the borrowers are making their monthly payments. So there's still going to be people paying off their loans. It's just that they're going to get some relief on the monthly interest. And let me tell you, when I um, hired a lawyer who had graduated law school, maybe five years out, and then about your second year out after law school is when your student loans start hitting, right? And, And her interest, both from her college student loans and her her law school student loans was something like 9% interest. Right, I know, I know. She didn't own a home to be able to refinance that and get a better interest rate like many people do because that's also around the same time when home prices were skyrocketing. Now, my interest on my law school loan, I was lucky to get out of college with uh, just, I had a Pell Grant, I I grew up super poor, and I had a Pell Grant and... Um, I had only like $1,500 in student loans out of college. But I had significant loans out of law school, even though I went to law school on a scholarship. Because in law school, your first year, you're not allowed to work. And you're required to, you know, they, they try to prevent you from working because it's so grueling. Right, right, right. And so you got to pay the rent. You have to pay your car payment, your insurance. So the only way to do it is to get loans. Now, I happened to qualify for federal loans at that time, which were like, I don't know, 0.05% interest. Nowadays, those don't exist. The loans in the last decade are at 9%, 7%. Some of them are at 10% interest. I mean, this is just outrageous. So we have to do something because otherwise we're never going to let the next generation be able to buy a home. They're not going to qualify for the home. They're not going to be able to really take root in our community. And I will bet that much like when I paid off my student loans, even though I got the benefit of those federal programs, I'm giving it back like tenfold because of my investment in my community, my ownership of my home, and, you know, the role that I play in the community. So I do think it's the right thing to do at this moment in time. And and here's my other point I want to make as to why this is going to help middle-class families is that if, you're, um, if you have paid your loans for 10 years in payment, 
um, and you have $12,000 or less left on your um, your payments, then you can get those uh, paid off. So that's going to be very helpful. Also, the, the debt forgiveness is not like the $1,200 relief check that the government sent out last year, which is what the experts are saying added to the inflationary pressure, because borrowers are not suddenly going to have $20,000 deposited into their bank account. Instead, they'll be relieved of making those loan payments over many, many, many years. And that extra bit of money, like I said, $300, $1,200 in some cases, whatever that amount is, that extra little bit of money, instead of it going to one entity, it's now going to be spread out. It's going to be going to, uh, you know, pay for new furniture. Maybe it's going to pay for a, a nicer place to rent. It's just going to be invested into the economy and help fuel our economy. Great. Good point. Before we before we let you go, I've been told that you're very involved with uh, what's going on in Orange County with the Power Authority. What's that all about? Okay, so the Power Authority um, is, in concept, a really good idea. Community choice energy and moving to cleaner energy sources um, and helping to bring down the price point for our residents um, with a cleaner uh, energy source is, is a good thing in concept, right? But what's happened here is the Power Authority has a lot of criticism the rates are not coming down. The rates are above what you would pay for your normal energy uh, consumption. Uh, the rates are not uh, consistent across the board, and people are really questioning what is going on at the Power Authority. Does it so, have something to do with the oil crisis? No, because the, the power is out there. It's a matter of management of the Power Authority itself. So this week, we've requested, and I got the uh, support of two of my colleagues on the board to get an independent third-party open book audit of the Orange County Power Authority, so that we could, for once in a while, uh, once, uh, once, once and for all, for the public, share. Look, are the rates accurate? Is the is there good financial stewardship of this power authority, which is multiple cities and the county as in a party, um, are they are they procuring power in a way that is consistent with best practices? And so we have this independent audit, which I have informal agreement from the power authority that they would agree to, um, so that we can assess the risk, we can manage all the truths, the non-truths, we can come out with um, a report that will let us make a decision as to whether or not this power authority is, is one that we should stay invested in as a county um, because a good portion of the residential area that is currently scheduled to move forward is in the county unincorporated area, thousands and thousands of homes. Interesting. Boy, that's a big deal. I think it's a big deal. I think it was a big deal for them to form the power authority, and unfortunately it, it's it's mired in controversy, so we need to take a step back, take a pause, do a deep dive, and and get it right. Because this is we're talking about the future here for Orange County. We need to get it right, and the public needs to trust the system. Interesting and and good point to end our talk tonight. Katrina Foley, Supervisor Orange County, with us. Thank you so much for your insight on these various issues. Uh, I'm sorry I pulled the rug out on the, the college <laughs> college. Uh, a rebate of tuition, but I had to ask you, I, I, it's just too important, and I know that education is very important in your life. Listen, I want you to come back soon as we get closer to the midterms and uh, give us some opinion on how you think things are going to go and what's going to happen and how it might affect us here in Southern California. Thank you. Thank you, Katrina, I always will. for coming on. If thank you. By then, we'll know, we'll know what's happening with you. <laughs> I want to know about the the sale of the stadium too. Well, so, that's uh, a that's a big question, boy. Everybody wants to yeah. know that too. Uh, yeah. And and but, you were you were actually quite involved with that also. So we need to talk more about that when you come back on. All right, wonderful. Would love to do it. You have a lovely evening. Uh, I'm so 
appreciative that we could spend this time together talking about really important issues to Orange County residents and businesses. You're the best. Thank you for coming on the Bruce Cook conversation tonight and, and every time that you do. Uh, all the best to you. We're going to stop uh, with Katrina, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, you're going to meet another very fascinating person talking about a very important issue. Stay with me. Angels Radio, AM 830. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue is ranked in the top 1% in the nation by U.S. News & World Report. It provides world-class care through multidisciplinary expert teams, each focusing on specific disorders of the brain and spine, such as stroke, aneurysms, brain tumors, Parkinson's disease, cognitive disorders including Alzheimer's, epilepsy, back pain, as well as spinal cord issues, addiction medicine, and sleep disorders. Our renowned experts offer the best evidence-based care, state-of-the-art technology, and the latest clinical research, all focused on the individual patient. Our stroke program was the first in Orange County named as a certified comprehensive stroke center, and our brain tumor program is the largest in Orange County and among the top volume programs in the Western United States. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute. Compassionate care, clinical excellence, creative intelligence. To learn more, call 949-516-9075 or visit hogue.org forward slash neuroinstitute. If the woman you love, your mom, wife, daughter, sister, partner, or friend is on a downward spiral from substance abuse and doesn't know where to turn, New Directions for Women can help. It's a Costa Mesa-based addiction treatment facility that has the answer. Since 1977, New Directions for Women has helped more than 5,000 women change their lives, returning them to sobriety, healthy living, restoring love and hope, and providing dignity for them and for their families. Don't waste another day. The woman you love needs your help now. Call New Directions. The number is 888-786-0509. Once again, call 888-786-0509 or visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. That's New Directions for Women. They know recovery. Work so hard, forgot how to vacation. They ain't never had the dedication. People hate me, say we changing, look, we made it. Yeah, we made it. It's Bruce Cook. It's the conversation, ladies and gentlemen. I'm back. And I'm back with Dr. Sandra Morgan, who is here in studio live tonight, and we are very honored and pleased to have her. Dr. Morgan comes to us from Vanguard University, and her program, Global Center for Women and Justice, she is a nationally known, actually internationally known expert in the very, very serious topic of human trafficking. And coming up on September 17th, at the Balboa Bay Club in Newport Beach, California. She is having her annual conference to talk about what's happening to face these problems. So joining me live tonight, Dr. Morgan. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's always good to have you on the, on the, on the show live because you bring great energy and you have a beautiful voice. And so I know that people are tuning in because they just want to hear you. Oh, you're so funny. I, I, mean I probably three people I know. Let me see my daughter, Jan Landstrom. Big shout out to Jan because I think she's the one who introduced us. She's a wonderful person. We love Jan. Yes. Yeah. But I am really excited to be back. Um, you sparked something in me at the end of our last conversation. Uh-oh, I'm afraid to ask. Oh, no, it was great. <laughs> and and so part of the theme uh, when I'm at Balboa Bay Resort on September 17th is a takeoff from how we close the show. I don't know if you remember, you interviewed me about my book, and I read the 
um, section from Ambassador Richmond's report of talking to a victim of human trafficking who said the only thing they couldn't take away from her was her ability to pray. And then it goes on and it talks about her prayer included that people would do something smart and strategic. So I've been writing all of the program materials for Priceless so that we can engage our community in smart and strategic efforts. None of this just, you know, shooting a shotgun at a barn door. We are going to be smart and strategic. There's no question that you have to be. Otherwise, it's basically just a feel-good kind of a thing that we all hate the idea that there's human trafficking. We hate it. It's, it's immoral. It's unjust. But it has to be stopped. So give us an idea of what smart and strategic will mean going forward. Well, I just finished an interview on the Ending Human Trafficking podcast with a nonprofit that had in their name the term rescue. And they decided after years of trial and error that rescue is kind of a misnomer here in Orange County in our juvenile justice program for victim child victims they run away and the restoration process is complicated and long and uh, Sergeant Juan Ravelas our law enforcement chair said he had one little gal that he quote unquote recovered we might say rescued five times and and so we have to be more strategic and move away from rescue language to long-term restoration and doing um, prevention work in our schools, understanding how to equip families for reunification or foster and resource parents. That's going to be the key to protecting our kids and restoring victims. This particular young woman that you talked about that was quote-unquote rescued five times, clearly the rescue was a failure. What then did they do so it wouldn't be a six-time? Do you know? Well, it takes – see, this is part of the problem with um, human trafficking, particularly when you're talking about victims of commercial sexual exploitation that have been lured with this idea, the lover boy pimp, and this is my boyfriend. So when they're picked up and recovered at um, maybe a sting or somebody reported something they saw, they don't necessarily say, oh, thank you for rescuing me. They're like, I want to go back to my boyfriend. And they don't really understand the exploitative processes. They have a lot of trauma. And so they will often not like being in some sort of shelter where they have to give up their phone. Um, They don't have any freedom. So they feel trapped and they run away and they go back. I have to ask you a really personal question. I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. The work that you have devoted your life to, as far as I know, I only know back a few years. I don't know your whole life. Some would say it is a lost cause. You come to it, and I'm just sensing this. I don't know, but you come to this lost cause, quote unquote, with a biblical spiritual base that says there is no lost cause. That is who we are. That is what we must do. What motivates you to keep going? Oh, my goodness. I love that question. Um, Lots of things. One is I see over and over hope restored. Our keynote speaker for Priceless, Harmony Dust Grillo, was what many people would call a lost cause. Now she's a survivor leader of a thriving nonprofit. She has her MSW, for those of you um, not in social work, I should have said a master's of science and social work. Um, 
one of the things that we do at Priceless, we raise funds for scholarships for survivors because I'm at an academic institution because I believe education is key to building resilience and hope for a great future, not just survival. Tell me again the name of your MC. What is it? Harmony Dust Grillo. Give me a little more background. Oh, my goodness. She is, I just, we have tried. That's quite a name, by the way. I know. I know. <laughs> she's she's amazing. Um, so one of the things, she wrote a book called Scars and Stilettos about her life in being sexually exploited. And she teaches other people how to help women escape exit being sexually exploited how did she get exploited to begin with oh you have to read the book and then you can call her and have her come in you can interview her or you're coming to priceless you're gonna get to hear that story firsthand all right then i won't spoil it for the listeners no, huh? then let me ask you the, the follow-up question how did she get out of it can you share that she got out of it because people made friends with her, no judgment, invited her to um, be their friend, to leave. And now then, she's able to be much more intentional. People cared for her, took her into their community, and supported her. But she's much more intentional. She literally goes into strip clubs and talks to the girls and says, you know, um, there is a way out. And no guilt, no like, oh, if you don't leave, none of that. It's all very dignified and full of respect for people as human beings. How much is the sex trafficking a function of poverty? You know, it is very difficult to figure those um, numbers out. I'm pulling things out of um, out of the air. Over and over again, we hear stories, and Harmony's um, situation is very typical. She was left with her younger brother and had $20 when that ran out. Um, uh, she resorted to stealing food. So poverty is often a huge component. But I don't want people to leave with the idea that that's the only risk factor. Um, kids, women, men are also lured into this kind of exploitation because they want a better future. And they're trapped in a dead-end job. They don't have the resources to get out of it. And when someone offers them a dream, they're very willing to take the risk, and they find themselves trapped. You started to explain about the purpose of Priceless raising funds for scholarships because of the, the the foundational belief that education does change lives. Share more. Well, we do a lot more than that. In fact, at Priceless, we raise funds for our entire agenda for the year. We, um, like, we'll talk about our trip to the Navajo Nation this last summer, where we put together a partnership with the First Lady to do an Ensure Justice Conference for Building Resilient Children. And I think when I talk about education, I go all the way back down to preschool and kindergarten, middle school, high school. And so prevention starts with teaching kids how to be safe online, teaching kids how to be safe in their communities, because even though we do background checks, you open your newspaper and you're going to find a story of someone who exploited a child in their own school, gym, church, all kinds of situations. So we can build resilient children who know how to 
better resist and how to tell and disclose when things like that might be happening. And so we work with our Orange County Department of Education. We co-sponsor Ensure Justice every March. We send our Live to Free students into the schools to do um, awareness and prevention training with middle school and high school kids. So our program is community-based, and what we do here, we then want to take outside of Orange County, nationally and internationally. Dr. Sandra Morgan, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bruce Cook. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to talk more about Priceless and the Global Center for Women and Justice. Really important topic It uh, touches all of our lives. We may want to shove it under the rug and and believe it's not happening, but I think today most of us do know how serious it is. And Dr. Morgan has much more to share, so stay with me. Radio AMA 30. As part of the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, Hoag's Neurospine Program offers innovative methods to reduce pain, inflammation, and improve mobility safely and effectively, often without surgery. Should you need surgery, Hoag is a leader with minimally invasive techniques, 3D imaging, and robotics to restore your golf swing or your swing dance. Many of our patients go home in just a few hours, walking the very next day. Call our dedicated nurse navigator at 949-537-2931 for an evaluation or visit hoag.org forward slash and we are back i'm bruce cook the conversation tonight angels radio am 30 klaa special guest dr sandra morgan vanguard university global center for women and justice i'm looking at a piece of paper that Sandra handed me called Human Trafficking, quote, no city is immune. And it is a breakdown on what's happening here in Orange County. Let me read the the top of it, and then I'm going to turn it over to the expert. The total number of Orange County human trafficking victims assisted in 2020 and 2021 is 357. 357 incredible, horrible stories. Sandra, break it down a little bit. Well, I think people often think that the victims come from someplace else. And so it's often very surprising to find out when you break down 357, only 54 were foreign nationals. Over 300 were U.S. nationals. And of those, 101 were under the age of 18. And six of those were little boys. Uh, We also sort of think it's always girls. And we find what we're looking for. So when we think about how many little boys might be out there, um, that's something I want to plant seeds in people's minds to understand that we want to protect our girls for sure, but don't ignore the boys. Boys need attention. They need prevention. They need training. Um, Also, the other part of the report is that we're growing in identifying labor trafficking victims. We had 33 labor trafficking victims in this latest report. Explain the difference. Well, one is um, based on being recruited for through force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of a commercial sex act. Somebody's making money. Human trafficking is about greed, Bruce. It's people who are just um, consumed with greed. And the other way that people make money is by not paying the people who produce, work, provide services. What kind of labor trafficking specifically? Can you get break that down a little bit? What kind of jobs are these people doing without pay? Are these domestic people working in homes? We've, we hear about that. We read stories about 
someone bringing in someone to be a housekeeper or a nanny, and then they become a slave. That's that's one scenario. Um, quite a number have been in some kind of exploitation or trafficking situation in restaurants, in car washes, in um, third-party cleaning um, companies that are hired by hotels, all of those kinds, especially low-paying jobs. And when uh, I did a training for some business leaders afterwards, a uh, construction owner came and talked to me and he said, so if my competitor is underbidding me, and I can't figure out how they do that. Is there something I can do? Well, yeah, actually. And now it's even more pronounced because a law was passed called um, the Uyghur Human Labor Trafficking Prevention Act, and it went into effect this past June. And now uh, corporations carry the burden for checking supply chains. So even if the labor trafficking is in Indonesia or China or India or Mexico, if that is being brought into our country for your business, it's going to impact you and will be able to um, impact what's happening to people that may not even be on the same continent. We have very little time left, Dr. Morgan. I want to first congratulate you. I understand that you have been added to the State Department's uh, ambassador series or embassy series. You're going all over the world speaking on these issues. That's quite an honor. I just did um, virtually an embassy event in Baghdad last month, and at the end, my favorite thing in the questions was someone asked from one of the universities, how do we start a global center for women and justice at our university? And by plugging Priceless. Yes, that's right. Priceless, September 17th. You can go to gcwj.org forward slash priceless, buy a ticket, sponsor a table, invite your friends. I've already invited Bruce to show up. Um, come and help us. We're going to have an awesome silent auction. Our Priceless Committee has worked hard, and this will be fun at the same time that you're going to learn more about how to end human trafficking right here in our own community. So very important. One more plug. Give us the name of the book that you just came out with this year. Ending Human Trafficking, a Handbook of Strategies for the Church Today. Because the most important thing, people, as Sandra said at the beginning of our talk, we need to be smart, we need to be strategic. That's On that, I have to say thank you, Dr. Morgan. Our time is up. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening tonight. Thanks always for being a part of the show, the conversation. Remember, stay healthy, stay smart, stay strategic. And come back again to the conversation. We'll be back in two weeks, ladies and gentlemen. Not Labor Day, but on the 11th, 6, uh, six o'clock on the 11th, uh, we will rejoin you. Thank you so much, and good night. You've been listening to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear the Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on... Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public.